This morning we're going to be in Exodus chapter 32. We're going to read verses 7 through 14. I know we stand a lot. Just count it as your exercise for the week. Count it as your calories burned, whatever you need to do. But thank you for standing if you have the means and are able as we read the Word of God. Exodus 32, we're going to begin in verse 7. This is what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, pay attention to these two words, go down. And the Lord said to Moses, go down. For your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said... These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I might make a great nation out of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, Why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with your great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? So turn away from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, And said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring that they shall inherit it forever. And then here's the struggle that we have to deal with this morning. And the Lord relented. Some of you, some of your versions say the Lord changed His mind. Some of your versions say the Lord repented. The Lord relented from the disaster that He has spoken of bringing on His people. Be seated. This morning I want to talk to you about the God who is immutable. The God who it is impossible for Him to change. We're going to look at several aspects of that this morning before we get back to this. But I want you to keep those things in your mind. I want you to keep in your mind that before God did anything, He told Moses, I want you to go down to the people. I want you to keep that in your mind. And then I also want you to keep in your mind as we speak that if God is immutable, then how do we deal with this right here that the Lord relented, or the Lord repented, or the Lord changed His mind. What do we do with that? Does that mean that God don't know what's going to happen in the future? That God was surprised by this and that when He saw it, He said, He's sitting up there wringing His hands and He says, Moses, I just don't know what to do. I need your counsel. I think we might remember from last week that God is a self-sufficient God and if there's one thing that Paul said, he said you can't give God nothing because he don't need anything. But if it's definitely one thing you can't give him, anybody remember what it is? Counsel. You can't give God counsel. He don't need your direction. He don't need to know what to do. 
So how do we deal with this verse right here? So this morning I want to continue in the series. For those of you that may not have been here, I'm in a series of teachings that is basically uh, about getting to know God. Getting to know God in such a way that we might recover the, the, the majesty and the sense of majesty that we have lost in this God that we serve. Why is it that we struggle so hard to worship Him with everything in us? Why is it that it's so foreign to us to actually surrender ourselves to this God and humble ourselves before Him and just stand in awe of His majesty? And I think the answer to that is we've lost the concept of His majesty. (laughs) We don't know Him. And so we need God to reveal Himself to us. Because the truth of the matter is, I think it was John Wesley that said, show me a worm that can understand and comprehend a man, and I'll show you a man who can understand and comprehend God. That's an amazing thing to think about, and it's so small in comparison, it don't even relate, honestly. A worm would come so much closer to understanding you and I than you and I will ever come to actually understanding the majesty of the Almighty God that we serve. And so my prayer has been that God would teach us who He is, that He would show us a little bit about Himself, even though we can't comprehend it, even though we can't understand it, even though we can't grasp it. All I want to do is be able for God to say from His Word, this is who I am, and for us to just be able to stand back and go... I want us to be able to sing with the angels when they look at God and the only response they can say is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I want us to be able to sing with these angels whenever they declare that God is holy and what they are saying is this. There is nothing like Him. There is no one like Him. We cannot comprehend who He is. And the only word that we can say when we look at God is holy. There's nothing else that compares to Him. To what will you liken me, says the Lord. Nothing. And I want us to be able to have that kind of mindset. So over the last couple of weeks, God has revealed Himself as the self-existing one. He told Moses, whenever Moses asked God, who do I tell them that you are? When I go to your people and say, your God told me to come to you, who do I tell them you are? Because there's all kind of gods in Egypt. So which God are you? And God looks back at Moses and He says, Moses... I am. I am that I am. And then he looks at Moses and he said, Moses, I want you to go tell them. First off, Moses, you need to know that I am. I just am. Second off, Moses, I want you to go and tell them that he is. He moves from the first person of this verb to the third person of this verb. He starts as Moses, I am. And then he says, Moses, you go tell them. Tell them that he is. That's who I am. It comes from a word that means to be. It means to exist. It means um, he just is. 
You can't be explained. He can't be comprehended. He just is. He is the self-existing one. And so you tell the people that He is has sent you. So God, here's what He wants us to know. That He has no origin. He wants you to understand everything we know has a beginning and an end. But God says, here's what I want you to know about me. I want you to understand that I don't have a beginning. Before time was created, I was. Before time, I am. Remember when Jesus told uh, the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say before Abraham was, I was. He said before Abraham was, I am. I don't have a beginning. Time gets its creation from me. Time exists in me. And outside of me, nothing exists that exists. And so the angels cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and He is and He is to come. He is self-existing. God is also self-sufficient. Matter of fact, He is self-existent in the fact that He is self-sufficient. And when I say sufficient, I mean that He has no need. He depends on no one and He depends on nothing outside of Himself for anything. He doesn't need food to survive. He doesn't need water to survive. He doesn't need sleep to recharge. He depends on nothing. He don't need a house to live in. He is self-sufficient. Everything we know and understand though about everything else in this world is that it is completely dependent. So we can't understand an attribute like these. We can't understand something that has no beginning and has no end. The only thing we can do is stand at it and look and just like the angels, we just say, I've never seen anything like you. There is nothing that compares to you. You are the Almighty God who was, who is, and who is to come. And all I can do is stand in awe of you. And then you, I've never known anything and anyone like you because everything that I know depends on something for its sufficiency. Everything I know depends on, even a rock depends on, if you don't pick a rock up and throw it, what can a rock do? Even a rock is completely dependent upon everything around it. The only thing that we know is dependency. Everything depends on something, but now this God declares to you and I that I depend on nothing. I depend on no one, and instead, everything else depends on me. So we said, the reason that you are is because He is. So God says to you this morning, you are because I am. I am self-existing, I am self-sufficient, and that is why you are who you are. So this morning, today, I want to look at the God who is immutable. This word immutable is just a big fancy word that literally means impossible to change. The God who is has absolutely no possibility that He can change at all. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29... 
Got all my scriptures down here where I can read them and y'all can have them up there. But in 1 Samuel 15 verse 29 it says, And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret. Here again some versions say that he will not change his mind. He will not repent. He has no regret. He will not lie because he is not a man that he should have any regret. Nothing God has ever done does He ever look back on and go, I wish I had did things differently. <laughs> I wish I hadn't have done that. He don't look back on the Old Testament and the slaughter of so many enemies and so many nations. And, and He don't look back on it. And even though we struggle with it today when we look back, God don't look back and go, you know, if I could do it over again, I'd do things differently. That's not the God that we serve. The God we serve is completely unchanging. He is immutable. Everything else in creation is subject to change. Everything in creation is subject to change. But God will not and cannot change. God cannot learn because He's all-knowing. He can't get better in knowledge. And He can't grow worse in knowledge. He can't get dumb. You know, um, as... um, as a kid, I was trained up in the Bible. I just I knew the Bible. I, I, I was taught it from the time I was old enough to know how to learn. And then somewhere I reached a point in my years to where I just stepped away from all of it. And I didn't spend any time in it. And I can remember whenever God was bringing me back to it, I had to relearn a lot of stuff because I had forgot some things. And so here's the thing that you need to understand about God. God never reaches a point to where He forgets anything or He has to relearn anything. He never digresses in knowledge. He never has a a point to where He needs to learn anything because He has the fullness of knowledge. He can't grow stronger because He's all-powerful. He can't get any stronger than He is because He has all power and all power comes from Him. He can't get bigger than He is because He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. The Bible literally says, in Him we live and move and have our being. And the only thing we can do about that is look at that and let our minds just explode as we try to grasp that all the universe lives and moves and has its being in God. He can't grow. He can't get any bigger because He's omnipresent. All things live and move and have their being in them. He can't become morally better because He is perfectly holy. God cannot change I want to show you three things, share with you three things that God cannot change in. God is immutable in all of His perfections. He cannot change in His perfections. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10. So you know I'm speaking the Word to you. It says, And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Now they will perish. All the work of your hands that was created, yeah, it'll perish, it'll fade away because it's temporary. But you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. Everything about everything else will change. But everything about God and all of His perfections, His knowledge, His, uh, His power, His might, Everything about God and all of His perfections, they will always remain the same. 
Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, because then it applies, the writer of Hebrews applies this to Jesus because Jesus is God. He says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God cannot and will not change. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. That's the reason why even though you still have sin in your life and you're the child of God, the only reason you're not consumed today is because God don't change. I remain the same. And then finally on this point, James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It said He's the Father of lights. James has been talking about His goodness. So here's what James is saying. He said the sun eventually goes down and the moon eventually comes up. But the Father of lights is nothing like that. He doesn't go from light to darkness, but instead, He always stays the same. He is consistent in all of His perfections. And then He says that there is no shadow that is due to change. In other words, He don't go from being in the fullness of you to being in the shadow all of a sudden because something is blocking Him. James wants you to understand that there's no variation or shadow of change when it comes to God. He is always the same. He is perfect in all of His perfections. He who is, always is. When He says, I am, He will never say, I used to be. The same God that said, I am, to Moses, is the same God that tells you, if you were to ask Him today, God, who do I tell these people you are? You know what He'd tell me to tell you? Tell them I am. I'm still the same God. I'm still the same person. The second thing I want you to understand this morning is that God is immutable in His purposes. Now this is important to remember these things. Just keep them in your mind. God is immutable in His purposes. His purposes cannot change. Psalm 33 verse 10 and 11 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples, but the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart stand forever to all generations. No matter what His purpose is, when it started with His purpose of Adam in the garden, His purpose with you as the son of Adam today is still the same. His purposes never change no matter what happens. Isaiah chapter 46 verse 8 through 11. He says, remember this and recall it to your mind. Stand firm in it, you sinners. He's talking to each one of us. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times to things not yet done. I love the way God does that. God said, listen, not only do I declare the end from the beginning or the beginning from the end, but I can take you back to before there was a beginning and after there is an end. From ancient times until after the end, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. And here's what he's saying when he says, I'll accomplish all my purpose. Whether I call a bird of prey from the east. He said, if I do something as, as, as simple as calling a bird of prey from the east to come in to do something for me, my purpose will stand. 
no matter what it is. Or if I call a man of my counsel from a far country, my purpose will stand. Whatever I purpose to do, whatever I have spoken, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it and I will do it. It's important that you understand that God's purposes never change. Then the third thing that you need to remember is that God is immutable in His promises. His promises never change. We're going somewhere, so don't lose me. Don't go to sleep on me yet. We're getting there. God is immutable in His promises. Let's look at a few scriptures to back that up. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 7 and 8. It says, The grass withers... And the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are just grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God, anything He says, anything He promises, will stand how long? If He makes a promise to Abraham, even though it's been some 6,000 years later, guess what? The promise still stands today. Let's go to another scripture. Numbers chapter 23 verse 19. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God is unchangeable in His promises. And finally, the last verse for this is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. He says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of His purpose. Some of your scriptures actually translate this, the immutability of God. The unchangeable character of His purpose. He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two immutable or unchangeable things in which, number one, it is impossible for God to lie. Number two, He swore by an oath. So if God can't lie, He spoke it. That means it's going to come to pass. It's unchangeable. It's immutable. And then if God swore by an oath that He's going to do it, that means that there's no way that it can be broken, so that by two immutable things or unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Why do you have encouragement to hold fast to the hope of the promise of God today even though it's been over 2,000 years since Christ came? Because God promised it and His promises stand forever. Does time affect God's promise in any way? Do circumstances affect God's promise in any way? If God spoke it, He will do it. God is immutable. And then verse 19 of Hebrews 6, it says, We have this, and this hope is what he's talking about. This hope because God is unchangeable in His promises. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. You know what an anchor does? What does an anchor do? Hold you down, right? He said, here's what keeps you in place. Here's what keeps you firm. Here's what keeps you steadfast. The hope and the promise of God because the promise of God can't change. God can't lie. He swore to it by an oath. And because of that, it's an anchor for your soul. And it's a hope that is already entered into the inner place behind the curtain with Jesus Christ. So God is immutable 
in His promises. So back to Exodus 32. How do we deal with Exodus 32 verse 14? And the Lord relented or repented from the disaster that He has spoken of bringing on His people. Did the immutable God change His mind? Because everywhere else tells us that God is unchangeable. In answering this question, I want you to first see that Moses actually appeals to God's immutability as he pleads to God on behalf for the mercy of sinners. Look with me if you would. Remember, first off, if God was going to destroy them, why did He tell us in verse 7, why did He say to Moses, Okay, Moses, I need you to go down because I'm going to destroy them. So let's look with that in mind at Moses' prayer in verse 11 of Exodus 32. In verse 11, we see Moses appeals to God's unchanging perfections. Remember I said that God's perfections, all that who He is. The same great I am that was is the same great I am that is. Alright? And so Moses appeals to God's perfections. First off, notice in verse 11 he says, But Moses implored Yahweh. I know your version says LORD in all caps, but you remember from two weeks ago, this is actually translated Yahweh. This was God's covenant name. This was the name that God gave between Him and His people so that they would know Him in an intimate way. And so God appeals to Him and calls Him by His covenant name. He says, wait a minute, you're the great I Am. You are the self-existing one. You're the self-sufficient one. You're the unchanging one. And then he says to him, O Yahweh, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? He appeals to his perfect wrath. He says, even your wrath, I understand you are a holy God. You're a just God. Sin must be punished. But your wrath, it's perfect. Why would it burn hot against your covenant people? the one in whom you gave your name. And then he says, what about your great salvation, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? He starts appealing to God about His perfection of salvation. He says, God, wait a minute. You perfectly saved these people. You brought them out with your great power. So he appeals to God's perfect wrath. He appeals to God's perfect salvation. He appeals to God's perfect power. He says, and God, you did it with a mighty hand. You did it with all your might. And he appeals to God's might. And so here we have all of God's unchanging perfections in Moses' prayer. And then verse 12, we see that Moses appeals to God's unchanging purposes. Look at verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did He bring them out? In other words, in Exodus 14, He actually told them, He said, the reason why I'm going to conquer Pharaoh and I'm going to bring them in and I'm going to swallow them up in the sea is so that Pharaoh will be the source of my glory. In other words, the whole world will be able to look at the most powerful man in the world and see that God not only conquered him, but he conquered all of his gods. <laughs> and he said, then all the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. 
All the Egyptians shall know that I am. It was for your glory's sake that you brought them out. And so uh, Moses says in verse 12, he says, Why should the Egyptians now say that with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them? So he appeals to his purposes. He said, God, does your purpose still stand? Do your perfections still stand? Does your purpose still stand? And so then we move on to verse 13. And Moses appeals to God's unchanging promises. In verse 13, Moses says in his prayer, God, I need you to remember something. Now first off, God didn't forget. But Moses says, God, remember Abraham, Isaac, and and remember Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them. In other words, you swore this and you promised it. it. Has your promise changed? And so he says to him in verse 13, he says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And so here we have Moses appealing to God's immutable promise. He says, God, are you going to change in your perfections? Are you going to change in your purposes? Are you going to change in your promises? And then verse 14 comes on the scene. And God says, The Lord relented from the disaster that He had spoken of bringing on His people. So the question is, because here's what it seems like. It seems like God may be looking at Moses here and going, You know what, Moses, I was sitting up here wrenching my hands and I was pacing back and forth and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do because I was so mad and I was so angry and, and I just wanted to consume them. And so thank you so much, Moses, for giving me the counsel that I needed so that I can change my mind. That's what it seems. But is that's what's happening here. I want to give you another option. Here's what God is doing. He's displaying and unfolding his plan of how he deals with sinners. Let me say that again because you need to write it down. God is displaying and unfolding his plan of how he deals with sinners. Let's look at it step by step. The first thing, God judges and he must judge men in their sin. All right? God cannot let sin just go. Judgment has to come. So in in verse 7, the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. He says, listen, there's a great sin that's been committed. And every sin must be held accountable Any offense against a holy, self-existent, self-sufficient, just God must be held accountable. And the just sentence for, for offending this God is destruction. He literally told Moses, he said, let me alone that I may consume them. It means complete destruction. That's the just sentence. God is right to judge them. But God is also not willing... Because not only is God perfect in justice, but God is also perfect in mercy. So even though God must judge, God also desires to show mercy. And so we move to step two in God's plan. How does a holy, just God show mercy to a sinful creation? Well... Look at uh, Exodus uh, 32. And remember, what were the two words I told you to remember from verse 7? 
Moses, go down. Here's a command from God and he says, here's how I'm going to keep my judgment from falling on my people who have sinned. I'm going to send a mediator. I'm going to send somebody that can go and stand in the gap between my judgment that they deserve and my salvation that I want to give. And so I'm going to send a mediator. So Moses, go down. Read with me in Exodus 32 verse 11 at this prayer again. He says, but Moses did what? Implored, pleaded. Here's the picture of Christ in this. Every time we sin against God, Christ is at the right hand of the Father and He is literally our advocate. And He is the one that stands beside Him and says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, forgive them. I'm pleading with you. I'm imploring with you. I am the mediator that stands in between. So God is judging sin in His perfect wrath, but at the same time, He's sending a mediator to stand in the gap between God, the just one, and the holy one, and between sinful man who deserved the wrath of God. God in His holiness would immediately punish sin If it were not for a mediator, he would have to. But the mediator stands in between on the sinner's behalf. I want you to think about Jonah and Nineveh for a minute. You remember what God told Jonah to do to Nineveh? He said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach to that city. And you tell them this message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. So in God's mind, wrath had already been determined on this sin, right? Judgment had already been determined. But did God change His mind when He saved Nineveh? No. Here's what was going on. The just God was holding judgment over the sin. But at the same time, He was sending a mediator to preach. He was sending a mediator to lead to repentance and to lead them back to God so that the just God could have mercy. And so Jonah goes and he preaches, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Anybody remember what happened? Nineveh repented and God didn't destroy. Did God change his mind? Nope. God was just unfolding his plan. God was showing you from Genesis to Revelations that this is how I deal with sinners. I am holding judgment over sinners. But at the same time, I'm sending a mediator. Because I want to show you mercy. I'm not unchanging in my promises. I'm not unchanging in my purpose. I'm not unchanging in my perfections. I'm still holy. I'm still just. I am still um, merciful. And my promise still holds true to you today. The only thing that stands between it is the mediator. And so God sends a mediator in step two of the plan. This is the picture that we have in Exodus chapter 32. God judges men, but at the same time, He sends a mediator. You have to see this picture. So in verse 7, God tells Moses, Moses, go down to these people. If God was giving a, um, a destruction of this people, do you think He would have sent Moses down to be in the middle of the destruction? Did Moses have anything to do with the sin? But He tells Moses to go down. Because he knew 
I'm not going to destroy them all. But if you keep reading the story, you'll see that Moses actually calls, and when he gets down to the bottom of the mountain, he makes an announcement. He says, Who is on the Lord's side? And as he preaches, the people that are on the Lord's side come in. And then if you keep reading the story, the judgment of God comes to the ones who are not on the Lord's side, who do not respond to the repentance. But instead, he tells the ones that respond, he says, now take your sword on your side and go kill all your brothers. That's the judgment of God that's coming on sin. But the ones that have the mediator that stand between them and the judgment of God, they receive the mercy of God and the salvation of God. I want you to feel the tension of this Exodus 32 because the same tension applies to us today. You have a holy, just, great I am, the self-existing one in whom all things move and have their being. You have this perfect God. And then you have a sinful created people who sets themselves on the throne of the great I am and looks at God and says, I am. You are not the most valuable thing in all the universe. But instead, I'm the most valuable thing in all the universe. What does that deserve? That deserves destruction. The same thing applies to you today. God, His judgment is already resting over it. And the only thing that stops destruction from coming towards you is that God sent a mediator. And he sent this mediator down to stand in the gap to pay the price for the offense that you committed. And now Jesus stands over just like Moses and he says, Who is on the Lord's side? And everybody that comes and stands with him, the judgment of God passes over. But everyone that continues in their rebellion, the judgment of God casts down and destroys this tension applies to you today. How can this holy and just God be both just and immutable in His perfections, His purposes, and His promises? The only way He can do it is by sending a mediator. So He says, go down, Moses. And this is exactly what Psalm 106 verse 23 says. And I'm coming to a close. Psalm 106 verse 23 says this, Therefore He said that He would destroy them. Look at this closely. He said that He would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him. God didn't change his perfections. God didn't change his purpose. God didn't change his plan. But instead he sent a mediator to stand in the gap so that he could declare who is on the Lord's side and give God's people the chance to come and stand with Him. And He's declaring the same message to you today. Don't miss that. Please don't miss that. This is God unfolding His plan. A God of just wrath against sinners appoints a man of compassionate mercy to stand in the gap on behalf of sinners. Guys, this is the gospel. This is why Jesus can say in Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 27... And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And then notice verse 27. And beginning with who? 
Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things that concerned who? Jesus. He said, guys, from Genesis to Revelations, God has been unfolding His plan and showing you how He's going to deal with sinners. You have offended an almighty, holy God, every one of us. And just like Moses stood and said and declared, who is on the Lord's side? That was God. You know, it's amazing to me that the people at the bottom of the mountain didn't even know what was coming their way. And still didn't get it even when Moses went down and said, who's on the Lord's side? The only thing they knew was that they had offended him, but they had no idea just exactly what that offense meant. And so they came and they stood by Moses and they said, we're on the Lord's side and we stand with you. And so today, it moved on to Joshua, he did the same thing. It moved on to David, he did the same thing. It moved on to Elijah, he did the same thing. It moved on to Jeremiah. Every single one that the Lord chose and called, He sent the mediator to stand before or between God and His judgment and God and His mercy. And so guess what I'm doing here today? Guess what God said? Go down. The people have no idea the judgment that sits over them. And I need you to declare who is on the Lord's side. And the ones that will come and stand with you in Christ, those will be the ones that will be spared. But the ones who continue in their rebellion and they will not heed the word of God and they will not repent of their ways but instead continue to love the ways of the world and sit on the throne of God and declare my happiness is the most important thing in all the universe. Those are the ones that the sword is coming and it's coming swiftly. I'm talking to somebody here this morning. Somebody here this morning had just heard me say who is on the Lord's side and you know you ain't there. But you know you need to get there. I want you to understand something. God don't change His mind. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. But God is unfolding His plan for you and right now you're in step two. Step two is God has sent a mediator. And now you have the chance to stand with the Lord. The God who is unchangeable wants to give His steadfast and sure promise to you so that you can have an anchor for your soul and so that you can have hope for everlasting life. But the only way you're going to receive it is if you hear the call from the mediator that says, who is on the Lord's side? And you come stand with Him. If you do that this morning, I promise you your life will never be the same.